Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to the official Devils Podcast as we travel to St. Louis. And we are very pleased to be joined by Cam Jansen, who is probably the most popular devil in terms of games played in his popularity because cam you didn't play a thousand games with the devils you didn't score a game-winning goal in the stanley cup final but man you gave everything you had when you were out there wearing a devil sweater you are one of the all-time fan favorites i hope you take that in the way it is offered because i'm so honored that you'll join us and respect everything that you've done in this game and i know the devils fans are loving the fact that we're going to spend about a half hour chatting here well i wanted to be a fan favorite that's like my whole, like, I, I wanted the fans to love me, of no doubt about it. Um, and I felt like I, I played a 1,000 games. I, I, my parents felt like that. Um, but, no, I, it, it's such a great time, and I, I appreciate that. That was, that, was, that was very nice of you. And I do, anytime I go back to Jersey where, where I, I met so many friends. See, I'm the, I'm the kind of guy that had buddies on, on the ice and buddies in the locker room, but I always made friends away from the rink. Anywhere I played, I always made friends, and I made so many in Jersey. Uh, for some reason, I just I, I met different people. People came around, and I, and I always, Kate and I, uh, my wife, we go back there once a year, hopefully watch a Blues and Devils game, uh, but always go back and reminisce with all our friends that we made over there. Well, you are a St. Louis native. You played for the Blues. You have come back home to begin your post. It's been on for a while, post-hockey playing career. Just catch us up on what you've been doing lately and, and where Cam Jansen is. Well, I've... Look, it's completely different than and when you play hockey for a living. That's it. Like, that's what you're doing. And, and maybe I should have kind of veered off and trying to expand a little bit. But you, you just you don't have time and you're just fixated on then and now. And that was always hockey. So I, I, I played overseas and I was kind of in that dilemma where what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, and I got a couple of uh, phone calls from some radio stations in St. Louis. And they're like, Cam, we, we'd love to have you, uh, you know, come on and, and try out for this with, for uh, a, a different show here and there. And I'm like, you know what? This is my calling. I already did. I already went back overseas. I went overseas just to see where I was for after hockey. Because, again, you don't, you don't know what your next skill set is. And you got to find that. You have, you have to find that. Just like whenever you're young, you have to find your skill set to do what you want to do. So I got all these job offers. I, I, I retired uh, uh, from hockey officially, and I started getting into the radio business. And I, Maddie, I absolutely love it. I love it. I have a blast, and it's my calling. And I'm doing radio. I have my own radio show. I have my own podcast. I do TV stuff, which is a completely different animal. We'll get into that. But I'm having a blast, and I'm home in my my hometown, and um, things just worked out for me. But I do work hard, Maddie. I'm not gonna lie to you. I work hard. I drove 30 miles to come see you. You know that. I didn't know that. I was wondering. Well, it's 30 round trip then, right? (laughs) Uh, Because I knew you were doing some radio here. I didn't realize where the station was. So we do appreciate the fact that you've come to us when perhaps we should have gone to you. But you bring up an interesting point uh, about end of career. And I was speaking with my wife the other day, and it was in light of the trade of Andy Green, who at 37 is at the end of his contract. He gets traded to the Islanders, and who knows what next year brings. And she said, do you you think he's thinking about what's next? And I said, there are probably moments when he and his wife have discussed it, but the reality is you just play until you don't play, and then suddenly the game is gone. Uh, It's a very difficult transition, I would imagine, to go from a player to now a citizen. Okay, let's be real. I need to work, okay? No, seriously, I need to work. I, I, I made a little bit of money, spent a lot of money. I was, I, 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 I was young, playing in my hometown, and I spent a lot of money. Now, I save money, and that's fine, but I still have to work. I have to work every single day. I have to grind it. Andy Green, 
was a great hockey player. If he wants to sit and look over uh, a mountainside in the middle of it, he could do that. But you still, it, it, but it doesn't matter, okay? For guys like me, I'm going to have to grind it. For, for him, some of these guys that made a lot of money, they don't need to do anything but you get bored. You need to still have a purpose. You're finally, you're not, you, you've been playing your whole life, and all of a sudden you're with your family every single day. Now, that's lovely. Okay, we all know that's lovely. But when you're not used to that, now you sit back like, okay, I have everything I want. I have all my toys, but I'm still bored. I need a purpose. And that's why a lot of these guys, and I believe Andy Green, when he does finally retire, will be like, okay, I, look, I've done hockey my whole life. I need to get back into it. I kind of want to talk to the guys again. I want to show off my knowledge that I've, I've you know, inherited over the past 25, 30 years of my life. So there is a weird uh, dilemma that you do go through, whether you made $50 million, whether you made a million, whether, whether you need to work again or you don't need to work again. You go through a phase where like, okay, now what? You can only kick your feet up for so long. You get bored, especially as a hockey player. Well, you got to fill 24 hours a day, and it's difficult. And you talked about you know, seeing your wife all the time, and there's obviously some construction work being done here in the lobby <laughs> of the hotel where we were conducting this interview. You hear some hammering in the background. But uh, uh, there's a line that's been used and has been applied to a lot of people who have retired where the wife would say, I married him for better or for worse, but I did not marry him for lunch. <laughs> so we're going to have to figure out something to do. Was the transition hard for you? No, it's actually extremely graceful, to be honest with you. But I did get thrown in the mix. Like, I, so I retired. I, they, they created a show for us, Five Nine of the Fan, and we went with that. And all of a sudden, they're like, you know what, Cam? We have a couple of alpha males on the show. We need to give you your own show. Can you start doing your own show? And I go, okay. Like, okay, whatever you need me to do. You know, I'll go out there and fight a guy six foot six for two and a half minutes. You're going to give me my, my own show for two hours? Yeah, I'll do that. So I figured it out. How, and you know what I do, Maddie? I, I swear to you. I listen to the radio all day. I listen to different stations. I listen to Canadian radio. I listen to different podcasts. And I just, I, I, I get a feel for what they do. Just like when you were, you're playing and you watch Pavel Burry in the 90s and see what he does. Although, you know, it didn't translate with me when I watched him. But I watched Tony Twist and Kelly Chase and, 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 and you know, tough guys like that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I could do that. So, and the same with the radio business, too. I kind of just watch guys that I think are funny and I think are having fun. That's a key thing. I have fun, and I just kind of take away what they do, and I spin it in my own personality, and I absolutely love it. But it was, it was somewhat graceful. I get thrown in the fire a couple times. One time I had to talk for two hours because there's no hockey going on, and, you know, you don't just talk hockey in St. Louis. you got to talk Cardinal baseball, so you have to adapt to every other sport and have an opinion on things. So one time I had to do a two-hour live show by myself, although I called come my buddies into that new golf on the PGA Tour when Tiger Woods was in St. Louis. And I'm like watching it on the TV in the studio, writing my notes down. I have a couple guys that I know play golf in there. They helped me out, but I adapted and I figured it out. And it was actually a pretty decent show, although I've never broke down a game of golf in my life. But I, damn it, I did it that day. Sometimes you just got to be tossed into the deep end of the pool, right? So you grow up uh, in the St. Louis suburbs. You play hockey. You fall in love with this game. You go to Windsor to play in the Ontario Hockey League, and then lo and behold, in 2002, Cam Jansen's name is called by the Devils in the fourth round of the draft. Were you there when your name was called, and what was the reaction, whether you were there or got the phone call? Was I there? Are you kidding me? I went to Toronto. I brought my family up there. I had my agent taking me everywhere, and uh, I remember doing, like, every team. I met with, like, 25 teams. I'm a fourth-round guy, kid from St. Louis. But I was kind of like a unique guy. I, was, I, I fought everybody in juniors. I was real loud and real popular. You know, Marcel Pronovo was the one that scouted me, Marcel. 
and he had connection with Lou. I remember Lou calling me in Windsor a couple times saying, hey, what are you doing? Get, get it together here. You're trying to be the OHL champion. I need you to play hockey. And it kind of humbled me a little bit. Anyway, getting drafted. We're in Toronto. Had my family there doing all the testing and all that stuff. Finally, the day comes. I was supposed to go from the second to fourth round. Second round goes by. Third round goes by. I told you this story before. I'm going to tell it again. Aaron Niddle was with me. Remember Aaron Niddle? He played with me in Windsor. Big, tough, strong. I mean, had everything. So we're sitting there in the stands. And all of a sudden, the devils are up. And I knew Lou. I met with Lou first, the first meeting of the day at 6 o'clock in the morning in this tiny room. It was the most intimidating thing I've ever done in my life. And I knew that they, my agent was telling me that they were looking into you. So third round comes around. Lou goes up there. From the Windsor Spitfires. And me and my dad get up. And I have, like, cigarette holes on my crappy suit I have. Everybody else is dressed in the nines. I, I, I don't have a suit, okay? And me and my dad get up and go, yes, and slapped hands. And all of a sudden they say, Aaron Niddle. And we're like, oh. And they're sitting right next to us. We're like, hey, congrats, Nitsy. So a whole round goes by. And then finally the Devils come back in the fourth round. And me and my, they called my name. And my dad stands up and we slap hands and we're so excited. And the first thing Lou said to me when I'm walking around the table and he looks into my eyes and grabs my hand and goes, you look like a hockey player. I'm like, thank you. You're right. <laughs> thank you very much. The coolest. And not to mention one other thing. My parents stayed the night in Detroit that night. I flew back early, and I had the biggest party at my mom and dad's house. The cops come, and my brother goes up to the cops and goes, uh, my brother who's you know from Eureka, he just got drafted in the NHL. He's like, oh, party on, guys. See you later. We'll keep an eye on for everybody outside. Coolest thing in the world. I just I will never forget that. For a young player, A, getting drafted and then having a comment like that from a Hall of Fame general manager is an awful cool moment. I, and I love the fact that you went back and you celebrated. And you know what? <laughs> you had a good time and life is really good. So what was it like then as you became a pro and now you're making your way through the system? There was one year in Albany. I had, I had to look it up to be sure I had it right. You had 337 minutes yeah. in the 4 5 season penalty minutes in that year yeah without any 10 minute misconducts by the way I was going back and forth with Brian McGrath in that year that was the 04 lockout every tough guy that's ever played a game seemed like they played in that league we had five tough guys five heavyweights on each team throughout that lockout because all these guys they needed to play somewhere so I remember going back and forth with Brian McGrath in that year who's you know six foot six 230 pounds and we're going back and forth he had a fight I had a fight but he kept getting 10-minute misconducts, and I didn't want to mouth off to the refs because I like to kiss their butt, so I would, like, get away with things. And so he had, like, 551 that year. I was next in line with 337, but we both had 45 fighting majors that year. And, of course, Lou liked that. And that was a lockout. And the next year, um, they signed Oliwa and Langdon. They sent me down, and they got rid of them, called me right back up. And I think Lou was a coach at the time. It just, it just all came together. But I worked, and I fought everybody, and I worked on my game on the wall. And Robbie Vitorek was our coach in 04, and he took me, you know, he just, he just was one of the best of the best. Made me feel confident and comfortable. And, it just, and Lou, Lou believed in a kid, a, a, a kid that has no hockey knowledge. His mom and dad never played. I had no hockey in my family from Eureka, Missouri, and he believed in me. And he drafted me, and he signed me right away, so I had a little bit of money to work out, and it just worked out. And I, I, I can't – my mom and dad love Lou Lamoureux, like you cannot believe. And any time he was mad at me, I'd call down there, like, they would say, is he mad at you? What'd you do? And I'm like, Mom, I'm good. I swear, we're okay. Okay, okay. Like, that's, that's the kind of love we have for that man. He has 
that effect on so many people and, ha- and continues to. So how does a kid from Eureka, Missouri, get involved in this sport and make it to the National Hockey League? I'll tell you how. The same way I asked the question. The St. Louis Blues. So you think that we, like you got to think, there's no NHL network. There's no, we loved the Blues. My mom and dad would take me to Blues games. They'd take me to Cardinals games. I love the Cardinals. Love Billy DeWitt III. Love the ownership group. They skate with us, actually. Billy, Billy DeWitt III, uh, the son of Billy DeWitt II, skates with us when our alumni skates. Loves hockey. The point is, my parents took me to Cardinals games. I was twiddling my thumbs and I was walking around bored. My mom and dad took me to Blues games. And I'm watching, and I'm looking, and I'm asking my dad questions the whole time. Why is he doing that? Why is it so fast? Why did he do? Why? Why is Tony Twist beating somebody up, taking his jersey off? All the women in the stands are going crazy. I'm like, I want to be him. I want to be that man. How do I do? I was so curious about hockey and the Blues to where I started playing roller hockey in my basement. Then I started playing roller hockey everywhere. Then my dad got me into fit and form ice hockey, and I became an athlete. I was playing every other sport in the book, and I kind of turned it into hockey, and I moved from one to the other, played double-A to triple-A to junior, and it went boom, 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 and I became obsessed with it. But the reason why that happened is because my dad took me to Blues games. It wasn't shoved in our face. The hockey wasn't shoved. It wasn't shoved in our face. My dad took me to a game, and I became obsessed. It's a beautiful story. You talked about fighting Brian McGrath, and you took on all comers. He's bigger than you. A lot of the guys you fought are taller than you. They have the reach, but you never backed down from anyone. Was there a point where you realized, A, I can do this, B, I'm going to have to do this, maybe C, I love doing this? Was it going back to Tony Twist? I wanted it. I want you to be big. Why? I'm not supposed to beat you up. I'm not supposed to beat you up. You're six foot seven, 240 pounds. I'm not supposed to beat you up, but I'm going to try. And even if I tie you, I win. I win if I give you a go. That's how I looked at it. And I, I wanted it, man. A lot of these guys that are six foot five. They're like, well, I was forcing to do it because I knew I had it. No, no, no. I was crushing guys at a young age. I wanted to fight at a young age. Now, my dad had to control it in a way. Like, he had to control me at school and things like that. I was friends with everybody, but I wanted I was aggressive. So I liked it. So if a guy was six foot six, I wouldn't just go in there and try to trade punches with him. I'd have to have a game plan. A absolute game plan, just like a game plan like coach would write out tonight for the Devils, like Craig Burby's going to write out tonight. What, what are we going to do about, about this team? I did the same thing. So it was a game within a game. I had to figure out how I'm going to beat this guy up or not get knocked out. Then I had to worry about getting the puck out of the zone and not taking stupid penalties and being productive with the hockey side of things besides the fighting side of things. So it, it was hardcore, but I, 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 I invited it. I loved it. I loved after a fight especially playing in Jersey where the guy, people loved it. All the, the hard-working people in Jersey, they loved it. And in St. Louis, my hometown. So I knew it was so stressful going into these. But I'm like, the satisfaction after a good scrap where your jersey's off, you're cut from your eye, you take your jersey off in a pony box, like, yes! Like, I was obsessed with that. And it just gave me the motivation to fight anybody I wanted. And the fights would last a long time. Not all of them, because some of them ended quickly. But if it was one of the greats, and we saw some great Cam Jansen bouts, they, they could go on for two minutes. And the stamina was incredible. That's where you're wrong. Okay. The stamina wasn't incredible. I just sucked it up. Most people would be like, oh, bring it in. No, I'm like, I might have... You would wave the linesman off. Nope, 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 not yet. I might, I might have had... And I, and I know there's some sensitive stuff about this with J-Bone. I, I, 
sometimes I felt like I was having a mini heart attack, but my pride would just let me keep going. Does that make sense? Like, you think I wasn't that in shape to where I could fight a guy six foot six or two? No. I almost died, probably, fighting these guys. LeBlanc, skating to the balloon box, dizzy, and you have to regroup, pour water over your head. So it's not like I was like this incredible athlete. Who knows what I did the night before, too, by the way. But I, I just sucked it up, and my pride and my will was like, no, 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 no. You're getting corked for 45 minutes. You need to make a fight out of this. A, you're going to embarrass yourself. B, your mom and dad are in the stands. C, girls are in the stands. And all your buddies are in No, you better put on a show. And that's the will that I kind of brought upon myself to fight these guys for two, three minutes. It's amazing what what the spirit can do. I honestly thought that you were just in great shape, as as all hockey players are, but you had that extra. The heart was just a little bigger. You know, when they do the autopsy, they'll say, wow, that heart was just a little bigger. He had a chance. So it was really just you wanted to make sure everyone understood you're not going to take me down that easy. Exactly right. And, you know, when Lou was my GM, like I – I knew he was watching. Like, I'm doing it for the, the players, the guys on the team. Of course, they all know that. But I was doing it for Lou, too. And he's, like, the guy, the guy drafted me, and he, he, he gave me a signing bonus. It saved, like, it saved us, kind of. Like, it, honestly, my parents were so broke, they saved us. And I'm like, I'll do anything you want me to do. Although, you don't have to tell me, because I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm not going to go, like, oh, oop, I fought a guy, but I fell two seconds. No, 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 no. If I'm going to go fight this guy, I'm going to put on a show, not only for the fans, but I'm going to let Lou and, my, and, and the people, uh, my teammates know that I'm going to, I, I'll do anything for you guys, and I'm going to get you pumped up. And it, that means I have to take 15 off the melon, and to get my grip to make it a fight, I'll do it. Well, I think your words uh, and your actions are the reason why I started this podcast by saying you were so popular and remain popular in New Jersey because you understood as you said, you understood the Jersey crowd. You were Jersey-like, though born here. And that's why your popularity goes on and on and on. You are a heart and soul guy, incredibly. And you appreciate everything the sport and what the Devils provided. And listen, you played almost as many games with the Blues as well. You had a, you had a good career, like, you know, almost 400 games. When you consider the thousands of kids every year who play, here comes this kid from Eureka, Missouri, who had 400 games was on a team that went to a Stanley Cup final in 2012. Hell, you won the lottery, didn't you? Can I say something funny about the 2012 thing? What an awesome year that was. I probably wasn't supposed to make that team. I was on a two-way contract. They signed Eric Bolton, who is the funniest, coolest guy in the world. We were best friends like you can't believe. They signed him to a two-way or two-year one-way deal. So I'm like, oh, boy. I had to make camp. And have, they have two tough guys. Luke kept me on that whole year because we, we were so good in the locker room with all the guys. We were funny. We knew our role. We, didn't, we competed with each other, but we loved each other. Like, usually two guys competing like that. So we, we have a great year. Covey was on it. Remember that year? It was so fun. God, the guys were so, so fun. We had so much fun. We go into the playoffs. Lou and Pete DeBoer asked if I can go down before games. Remember this? And give a, a speech. A speech to the guys. Not... Not before, no, right before the game. When Marty has a towel on his head, no one's looking at you. It's the most intense, hostile environment you could think of. You walk in there, all the guys are not in a funny, happy mood. They're like dead. And I have to create a funny skit, a two-minute skit, every other night going into it. And I did it. And, you know, is that kind of nerdy? Yeah, but I felt part of the team. I felt like Lou and Pete DeBoer wanted me to have the last say before they went on the ice to go perform. 
And it, and it worked. I mean, it did. Yeah, we didn't win the whole thing. You know, L.A. was great, but some of the stuff I had to cre- come up with, I was so, that was more nerve-wracking than me fighting McGratton. I had to go and I'd create things, and like, I'd call my wife and be like, is that funny? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, God, I'm, i got to go with it because I have no time. That kind of stuff. But I'll do anything for teammates. That is a story I was not aware of, and I, I'm sure very few of our listeners are aware of it. That's the inside stuff that we love about this podcast. <laughs> So you mentioned some fights. I want to talk about some other Devils things, too, but you mentioned some of the fights. What, what would be the top, let's just say, top three fights that you talk about or are asked about in your career? I'll give you the big one. I remember when I was young, my first stint with the Devils, and we're playing Toronto. And it, D, it goes D to D. I remember Caberlet gets it. And I, what's up, Devils? How you doing, man? And Cab, Cabs gets it. And I, I hit him real hard. Remember that? Knocked them out, and it was, and they were really good that year. It hurt, kind of hurt their playoff chances. Toronto hated me. They hated me. No one did anything that game. Actually, Claude Julian didn't play me the rest of the game. Not did I mess. Not did, I didn't even get a penalty for it. He didn't play me just out of respect, and I completely understand that. Two weeks go by. Toronto media is on me so hard. Lou didn't know how I was going to handle it. Like he didn't. I mean, I'm a young kid. It's a different kind of thing. It's not like dealing with Marty or anything. But but it was a, it's my own little thing, and and Lou was so supportive of it. And then we go finally go back in Toronto, and Lou comes down and says something. He goes, just go do your thing, because he knows Belak and whoever is on that team is going to come at me. So this is, how, this is how funny the guys are. They know I'm so stressed out about this game. We go out for warm-ups, and I was the first guy to go out. I go out there, and they all stop and make me skate around warm-ups. <laughs> like it's, you know, your first game that you do that. But they did that with Toronto just so the fans would be – it was funny. And I went out there – in the first shift, I hit somebody, which, and the next shift, they all point at Belak. Belak comes on the ice, and we go toe to toe, center ice. I hurt one of their best players, one of their, their veteran guys, and their big, big boy, Wade Belak, rest in peace. Love you, man. He comes out, and I trade punch with him for two and a half minutes. I, I was actually standing at the end of the fight, and he was down. And I remember looking at the bench, and they were going crazy. And, you know, it just, and then Lou comes up to me afterwards and goes, yeah, dead good, kid. And I played it right, and I, and I just I sucked it up, and I did my thing, and we, you know, I don't know if we won the game or not. I don't, I don't even remember, but I did what I was supposed to do, and then it was all over. It was all over. It was done. No one chirping anymore. It wasn't no more stress. Like you fought the big boy, you paid the piper, you did well, and that is it. And I, I think that kind of like, I don't know, just kind of bumped me up a notch, and not just in the league, but with with the organization a little bit too. Like if he's going to go hit guys like that, he's going to step up to the plate. And, and defend himself so no one else has to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if I would be like, screw you, be like, eh. no. Okay, then he's going to go be a Patrick L. You know, you know how that game goes. So I think that kind of uh, catapulted my, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I guess my, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of the word here, but credibility. How's that? And honesty, because that's the code that was in place at that time. Now, and, and we'll talk about that uh, as time winds on. By the way, you might have heard uh, Cam say hi to somebody as he was walking by. I'm not even sure. Yeah, I'm used to the radio. I, you know how it goes. If somebody says, I, I want to say hi to him. Oh, of course. Yeah. But what I'm saying is what they haven't seen is the ways because most of the time you've just been waving at people, kind of know you here as we're sitting here, and they were like, hey, yeah, it's, it's Cam Jansen. You know, oh, absolutely. I love it. I love it. It just gives an indication of, of your popularity here in the city. Um, I thought you might have mentioned the uh, Pierre-Luc Letourneau LeBlanc fight because it went so long. I do appreciate why you mentioned the Belak fight as number one. So I won't get into why that didn't get brought up, but I do have to ask you about the line brawls, Rangers, Devils. Now, listen, you have your reasons, and they're great reasons for why that fight stands out. 
But man, I get chills watching watching that that line. There were two, but I love the one with Tortorella and oh. Pete, and they're going back and forth at each other. And Pete DeBoer says afterward because Torts was upset that you that. You know, he put his fourth line fighters out and he goes, well, he's either got short term memory loss or he's a liar <laughs> because earlier in the season they did the same did, thing at, 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 at the Prudential Center. Isn't that awesome? And people are like, well, what happened? What? How did this all come about? I'll tell you how it came about. Ruppy. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Bolts and I, who, who's in there? Oh, Ryan Carter. That's right. Because we put, sorry, it gets confusing because Ruppy was on our team and Mike Rupp, but he was on the Rangers this time. So we were in the locker room. Didn't even think it. Like, I was probably going to try to fight guys that night anyway, but we never thought of having a brawl. And all of a sudden, we had to put our lineup in first. So Pete's like, you know what? I'm going to play them. And then we saw that they put their lineup. And so right before we went, right before we went on the ice, I mean, just right before, nothing. We didn't talk about anything. We, I look at Bolts, and I look at Carts, and I go, let's go these guys. Let's, let's, try, let's try to all fight them. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so we go on there, warm-ups, blah, blah, blah. We go on the center ice. I go to Ruppy. I whack him, and I know him. I whack him on the ankle. I go, let's go. He's like, I'm not fighting you. I'm like, okay, bolts, switch with me. We switch things. I go to Prusty, uh, Brandon Prust, who I fought since juniors. I go, let's go. He's like, oh, okay. And I look it over. I go, we're going. You guys are going too. So Ruppy's like, okay, fine. And then Karts fights Bickle. Uh, it just, it just. It, it, we, it, it wasn't even, th- we weren't thinking of it going into New York. We weren't, we're, the last, the, the only time we even brought it up was r- honestly walking on the ice for the game, not even warm ups, for the game. And we're like, yes, yeah, let's all fight together. And that's what happened. And I'll tell you, the one guy who didn't like it, probably besides, well, on our team at least, was Marty. You know why? Because he got warmed up, and all of a sudden he had to sit for 35 minutes. He's like, don't you ever do that to me again. I almost pulled my groin 14 times that game. <laughs> Well, also part of that, of course, is that Brandon Dubinsky steps in to take the draw, but then he backs out and he says to Karts like something like "Good luck" or "Get ready," because Bickle yeah. comes in to take it. And I, yeah, I remember, and because he had broken his nose in a got punched by I forget who earlier in the year, and he had just recently returned to the lineup, and he's like, "Oh, you know, good luck." And I remember when that happened. First off, you got the big guys out there. So, you know, okay. And it was still at a time in hockey, it wasn't that long ago, where something could happen. You go, okay, let's get ready for this. And there's a little buzz going on and then a little slashing you mentioned. And then you see Dubinsky skate back to the blue line as the defenseman comes in to take the draw. And I'm like, ding, ding, we're going to go. That will never happen again. That will that will be the last brawl. That Was that the last one? Oh, but off the draw like that, where everybody fought. right at the start of the game. Start of the game, I don't know. It, it, I think maybe Calgary did it. I think Brian McGrath might have done it with LA or with Edmonton, but you will never see that again. And a lot of people are like, "Good, we don't need to see it." But at least that's in the history. You know what's? I, I'll say this, Manny. What's it was good about how I ended my career is there's not many fights anymore. So anytime people think of fights, like we were the last dinosaurs, so people always think of us, and it's kind of like, oh. For what I do now and being in radio, like it's it's a, it's a good thing, you know what I mean. So, um, it, look, it, it's it that will never happen again. A lot of the stuff that we've done will never happen again. Is that great? I, I think the, the hockey's great right now with with all this stuff. There's still fights. They're emotional fights. They're not set up, and I like that too. Like if you get mad at each other in front of that where you cross check, and all of a sudden you're like, no, let's go. That's emotion. I love it. You need to keep that in the game. If you go through a if you go through a stint in the NHL where no one's fighting each other. It's not because there are, people are looking. No, it means like the, the emotion's not there. 
Because even these, these now the top players are going at each other because they're, they're mad at each other. You whack me like that again? Like, what are you doing? You're whacking me? No, no, no. I'm sticking up for myself. That We need that in hockey. Not the, not Bougard and big boys going at it. Rest in peace, too, by the way. But, like, the, the, the bucket's off, spinning it. Like, that doesn't need to happen. But the emotion, like, I'm mad at you. You whack me five times. We're going in front of that. That kind of stuff. Hopefully that never comes out of hockey. It's emotion, Maddie. You know that. Oh, and I will say amen to that. Chico Resch and I comment, it, uh, comment on it all the time. And we're a little old school in our thinking. We do understand that we are concerned about hits to the head. And we are concerned about player safety and the impact that a lot of fighting can have on people. And, and those studies continue to go on and we know what's happened. But if you come to a hockey game, which is a physical sport, I love the skill of today's game. It's as skillful as it's ever been. I say this to Chico all the time on the air. A little healthy dose of hate goes along. And I can see, oh, it's true. We need a little of that. The sport needs it. And again, it's not it's not a six foot seven guy bowling everybody around. No, no. If there's a six foot seven guy on the ice, he could play hockey. So then that's your problem. You worried about Tom Wilson? Tom Wilson's on the first line. You worried about Zach Cassian? He's on the first line. Now, he's suspended because he kicked somebody, which is ridiculous. I'm not happy. But now, was I happy? Did, did I care what he did to Matthew Kachuk, who I know from Keith Kachuk playing with him and Maddie come? I don't, I don't mind that. You hit me three times in one shift, I'm going to get you. Like, that's, that's healthy. It's natural. It's emotional. And that's what you still need. And that's why hockey is, separates itself from everybody else. Look at the baseball right now. You think, these gonna, you think Jose Altuve isn't going to get some high heat from some of these guys? And, everybody's, and they're going to get suspended 15 times over, and Jose Otuve is going to stand in there, and he's going to do his thing. And it's just hockey's different than any other sport. I have to dissect sports left and right, having your own show. And I, I just the, the, the fighting factor in hockey, that emotional, like you mess with me because everything is so intense. Like it's so intense out there. Even if there's not even hitting, you're hooking, you're slashing, you're chirping. Like you just need to have that. It separates itself from any other sport, in my opinion. 100%. And – I do think that as the game is called now, some of the bigger, stronger, tougher guys, they're all tough to a degree. They just don't know how the game is going to be called. And I think there's got to be a better understanding of that because I think you talk to the guys, they know I want to finish my check, but did that guy just turn his back at the last second and I'm going to get penalized? Am I going to get suspended? So it's easier to go in soft to the corner or along the boards. Let me, let me, you're 100% right. Um, now, I'll give you a couple examples here. Uh, the Evander Kane who's complaining about why did I get three games? You elbowed the guy in the head, okay? Maybe he should give you two. But you're a repeat offender. You elbowed your guy, the guy in the head. You look, look at the frame by frame, which you have to take that with a grain of salt too because a hockey's so fast, and if you take it step by step, everybody would get a penalty on every single play. But if your arm looks like a chicken wing and you catch a guy in the chin, you're going to get suspended. Don't do that. But if you catch a guy and your shoulder hits his, ch- hits his chin because he bailed on you or turned on you, that's a different story. I mean, look, you could – I, I don't – they do call a lot of penalties. Sometimes they don't. Like the Zdeno Charles the other night against – who was that? Uh, Montreal. Montreal. Who was that? No. Bra- uh, Gallagher. Was Gallagher. Gallagher. Five foot six. Gallagher kind of whack him. And Zdeno cross-checks him right in the mouth. Now, did it do damage? No. But give him a game for that. Give him a game for that. It's 5K. That's pocket change. I mean, 5K. Although, I heard he's pretty cheap, so that might hurt him a little bit. But I like Zanel and Char. Don't get me wrong. But that's it. Don't, don't use your weapon. 
Like it's one thing when you try to make a hockey play and you hit and your, your, your shoulder goes in the guy's chest. But if you're looking at each other after the play and you cross-check a guy that's five foot six in a mouth, even if it doesn't do damage, you're getting a game. You're using your weapon. That's a weapon. Just like you're trying to kick somebody. I'm surprised Cass didn't get uh, double digits on that bad boy. No, I didn't because he didn't hurt the guy. Now, I understand that too because hockey's so spontaneous. Everything's so quick. So if you hurt somebody, yeah, you're going to get da- tagged on. But if you just screw up real quick and you hit him in the chest, like, oh, God, my bad. Like, that kind of weird reaction happens. And I would have gave him 10 just to be like, don't you do that again because, you know, we know who you are too. If it was somebody else, I'd maybe give him a little. Um, but, you know, everything is different. They're, they're all – every hit is completely different. You can't just bunch everything up together and be like, oh, that's a four-gamer. No, you got to go frame by frame to a certain extent. And um, – I don't know. I, I, have a, I have a lot of say on all this kind of stuff, as you could tell, Matty. We'd be here all damn day. Well, listen, we'll wrap it up with just a couple of questions. Uh, one about playing in England. That's where you wrapped up your career. You touched upon it earlier. What was that experience like? It was lovely. And I got the word lovely. I think you did that on purpose. From the Brits. They treated Kate and I like royalty. No pun intended. Well, yeah, pun intended. I don't care. They treated us so great. Nottingham, I can go back there right now. And Kate and I could go to these little bars from the 1100s. Like, I'm a history buff, right? I love, I love British history. I love Scottish history. I love, I, I love castles. I'm obsessed with the Middle Ages. I'm obsessed with the Renaissance. Um, and us going over there, we're going to these, like, churches that are made into bars. And it just was so cool. And instead of, now, did I make any money? Eh, not really. Eh, not really. Did I fight all the damn time? Yes, I did still. Were the fans unbelievable? Yes. Were the, were the, the, the bus rides up to Scotland, up to Fife, Scotland, where I'm, like, sitting in the back of the bus, hanging out with the guys, and I'm like, what, what castle is that? They're like, oh, that's... And I'm, like, looking up on my phone, like, oh, wow, 1100. Ooh, that's when they started building all the castles here. Ooh, was that, you know, King Henry, whatever. Like, it just was really, really cool. But the reason why it was cool is because I busted my ass. Like, do you get that? Remember we talked about that earlier? Like, well, why, why do you want to... Well, the reason why I never had a bad experience because I worked my bag off for the fans. Like, I'd go, you know what they made me do? Sorry, I'm over the place, so I'm going to give you this, too. First time I get there, right, and they hyped me up going over there big time, and I loved it. And the first time they had a, a, ceremon- a ceremonial game for one of the coaches that's been in the league for 10 years, and they pumped them up. 7,000 people at our stadium, which is, or rink, which is beautiful. They come down to me, the, the, the brass of the organization, like, Cam, can you dress as Hulk Hogan, skate, no, I don't know anybody yet, I just get there, Kate's not even there yet, so I'm by myself, she, can you dress like Hulk Hogan, skate to center ice while we introduce you last, when there's 7,000 people there, all the players are on the ice, they don't know you either, they know you, but you don't know them, rip your shirt off and do a little dance like Hulk Hogan and flex for the crowd, I'm like, oh God, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. That kind of stuff. I said, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll do that for him. I went out there. I danced like Hulk Hogan. I ripped my shirt off. I flex for everybody. And then I go out there and work my butt off and have great fights and say hey to the fans. That's why I had a great experience. A lot of people don't have great experiences because they're not playing well. They're not working hard. The fans are on them. And that's what gets you. That's what gets you. There is nothing you have not thrown yourself into 100% in life. And the hard work is paid off. This, these are the last two. One is put into perspective. Tell us what Jersey means and meant to you. Touch upon getting that check and being drafted. But the whole experience, soup to nuts, drafted, playing, leaving, coming back. What did it all mean to you? I, the people there 
treat me. Let's take the organization away. The organization treated me like just gold. Now, did Lou yell at me a couple times, as he should? No doubt about it. Did it wake me up a little bit? Did it scare my parents a little bit? Absolutely. Did I need that? Yes, I did. Anything outside the organization, I met so many cool people. I've ate the food, the people, the people that love the toughness, that would come up to you. And I, I just met so many friends there. Kate met so many friends there. We go there every single year again. We go meet with all our friends. We go in the city. We say hey to everybody. I absolutely loved it there. That you know, uh, again, just cruising around, stay, even staying at that hotel. Where's that hotel right there? The Renaissance Inn. Remember the Renaissance Inn? We'd always stay right there in West. Oh yeah, right there. I lived there for. It just the memories that we have. Uh, the the house I had a place that looks over the city uh, for a couple years. It's just it's just memories I'll never forget. It's it's people outside of the organization that I met just from walking around, being social, and I have friends for life going there, and I just. It just was a, it was, it was a perfect thing for me. And I'll say one more thing with this. If I would have got drafted by any other team coming in from a kid from Eureka, I was wild. You know that. I was a wild kid on the ice, off the ice. I was, I was disciplined, but I was wild. If I didn't have Lou looking down upon me, look, knowing that he's in that little that, that shaded area up there, knowing he's watching me, I don't know if I would have stayed in the league 10 years. He helped me out so much. I'm going to bring him back up again, that organization. My mom and dad love him. So he's, he was like a father figure to me, and my parents took me so far, and then you start making money and you're doing, then they don't have control of you. Lou had that, and I'm glad, I'm blessed that they drafted me and, and taught me how to be a professional. Took you the rest of the way. So now you're in radio. You mentioned it earlier, but for those who are listening to this, because you, you can get a radio station no matter. It used to be back in the day you had to, like, yeah, yeah. get it through the static and what have you. So online how does somebody find cam jansen if they're listening in new jersey well, always follow me on twitter cam jansen 25 still got the 25 from the devils uh, uh instagram cam underscore 25 uh, jansen 25 i have a, a podcast called the cam and strict podcast i work with andy strickland who works at fox sports here in st louis pretty funny we're hardcore we just had uh, theo flurry on which was absolutely hardcore we got mike keenan coming up we've had uh you know brian mcgratton on we've had uh just just a-list guys uh, throughout the NHL. Uh, there's kind of no holds barred. We've had Daniel Carcillo on, like guys, Sean Avery, you know, like big boys uh, that, that are comfortable around us. And we kind of always have to, like, send them the thing, too. Like, uh, you sure you're good with everything? Because they get comfortable with us, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what we want. But we don't want to get anybody in trouble and, and uh, say something they're not comfortable doing because they're in a comfortable situation. But check that out, Cam and Strict Podcast, at uh, Strict Cam on Twitter, and we will entertain you. You always have entertained. Uh, Cam Jansen, thanks very much for your time. I do appreciate you coming here on the 30-mile round trip, uh, but the memories you've shared, the time you've given us, greatly appreciated by me and by the Devils fans who are listening. And we look forward to the return when you come back to Jersey, when we come to St. Louis, and continuing to uh, see you uh, throughout uh, your rising career well go down the jersey shore this summer because i know my buddies are begging me to go down there they just got a new place so i'll tweet about it and we could all party together down at the shore but i might be up there for the blues game as well so i'll let you know maddie you're the best you know that well thank you so much cam jansen joining us on this edition of the devil's podcast boy almost 40 minutes i, I thought we'd get 20 25 but i knew once you got going we could dig in deep and uh, share some of your great memories so again thank you very much to cam jansen for joining us thank you everyone for being our company on this edition of the devil's podcast we'll see you next time bye bye